Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 John. The book of 1 John in chapter number 3. 1 John in chapter number 3. And by my count, we have five messages left in the book of 1 John unless the Lord intervenes. So we're on the downhill slope going through this book of 1 John, talking about walking with Jesus. And that's the goal, that not only does the Lord want us to come to know Christ as our Savior, but He wants us to have a close, intimate relationship with Him. That's what the Lord desires. And that we see through the book of 1 John that there's many proofs and many evidences that we are one of His and that there's proofs that we could see within ourselves that we are truly born again. We see this same concept repeated once again in the book of 1 John chapter number 3. The book of 1 John chapter 3, and if you wouldn't mind, look with me in 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse number 11. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 11, the word of God says this. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And whosoever hateth this world's good, and seeth his brother, hath need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards the Lord. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. And he that keepeth His commandments dwelleth in Him, and He in Him. And hereby we know that He abideth in us, and by the Spirit which He hath given us. And if from the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 John chapter number 3? 1 John chapter number 3 and verse number 14. Notice this phrase, we know we have, that we have passed from death unto life. We know that we have passed from death unto life. And with this title here, I'd like to preach a message on we have passed from death 
unto life. We have passed from death unto life. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for the great privilege it is to be considered one of your children. And we thank you that when we come to you, that you fill us with your Holy Spirit and you change us from the inside out. That we have a brand new nature. We are made brand new creatures. We have a brand new home. We have a brand new goal. We have a brand new purpose. We have a brand new song. And that there's evidence that if we're truly one of yours, Lord, that there's evidence in our life that we have passed from death unto life. I'm just asking that you would make this as clear as possible, that you would make it as evident as possible, and that you would be a help to us, that we could grow as close to you as possible. Once again, Lord, I recognize my physical infirmity, my own physical weakness now. I know that I am not capable, I am not able, my mind is not sharp, my body is weak, but Lord, your grace is sufficient. So the best I know how I surrender everything to you and beg once again that you fill me with your precious spirit, that you can get your own work accomplished through your precious word. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. We have passed from death unto life. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? That here we are, we were at death. We were condemned already. And now because of Jesus Christ, because of his shed blood, we have passed from death to life. We have passed over. We are in a different section. We're in a different place. We have passed from death to life. And not only is that just words... But there's evidence for it too. The first thing I'd like to show you from this passage is proof that we have passed. Proof that we have passed. Notice if you wouldn't mind in verse number 11. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. This is going to be a theme that's in this passage here that for us to love one another. That there's something different about us now that we're saved. That we have a natural love for other Christians, for other people. That is something natural that we have. And notice as it goes on with that same idea and it does a comparison. In verse number 12 it says, Not as Cain who was of that wicked one. Now in the context what we hit last time in the book of 1 John is we talked about that the children of the devil... And children of God. And we explain that there's a difference between children of the devil and children of God. And here it's bringing up that same reference that we know that we pass from death to life. We have proof because we love the brethren. And it says, not, not as Cain who was of that wicked one. You know that God clearly identifies that Cain was not saved. That Cain was of his father, the devil. Notice as it goes on. And slew his brother. It goes back all the way to Genesis chapter number 4, where we have two brothers by the name of Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel, you know the story, that the first murderer was Cain. The first murderee, the first victim, was Abel. And that Cain killed his brother. What a horrible thing to think that that someone can kill his own flesh and blood. But notice the phrase that God uses in this passage here. Not as Cain who was of that wicked one and slew his brother. And wherefore, so here it's saying, And why is the reason why he slew him? And wherefore slew he him? 
because his, Cain's own works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Notice in verse number 12, it does not say that Cain's murder was evil. Though it is, you know what was evil? His false worship of God. Do you know what that God considers the false worship of God evil? Now, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? That's not politically correct. That someone who tries to worship God their own way, it's not only not accepted by God, God considers it evil. It's against God. It's against what God had set down. Remember the story that there was no real laws. They didn't have the Ten Commandments. They didn't have the whole Bible. But God desired that they slew an animal for the purpose of showing that that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That because of our sins, something had to die. Remember that it was Abel who brought in the sacrifice. He brought in the lamb, fulfilling the picture that God wanted to get across. He brought his best of the flock. But Cain, he brought his best. He wanted to worship God, and he wanted to worship God with his best, which was the crops of the field. But that's not what God had asked of him. So because of that, God rejected Cain's worship. Do you know that not everything that is done in the name of worship, God accepts? And do you know that we get in trouble when we tell people that's not what the Bible does not allow that? The Bible does not accept everything done in the name of worship. It does not accept everything that's done in the name of God. You know, there's a lot of things that's been done for the name of God over the past. Wars have been fought, such a, a, such a thing called the Crusades, which was done in God's name. Do you know that's not biblical? And by the way, that wasn't done by born-again Christians. <laughs> the Inquisition was done in God's name. But let me tell you, that was not pleasing to God. It was against it. And by the way, did you know the Inquisitions was meant to kill the Jewish people and true born-again Christians? The Inquisition was there to kill us. We have today the Muslims. The Muslims are dying for their thing, for their faith. They're dying for their God. By the way, their God is not the same as our God. But do you know God does not accept their worship even though they give their best? They give their all from time to time. But God does not accept their worship. And what a heartbreaking thing it is. Think of a Muslim person who has given their entire life literally and to face God at the white seat of judgment. And be sentenced to hell. Even though he gave his best. Think of one of the crusader knights. Who traveled across Europe. Went to try to reconquer Jerusalem. He did his best. He suffered through hardship. He suffered through plague. He suffered through fighting. To stand before God. And to find that his works counted for nothing. And that he didn't trust Jesus. That was the main thing. Was to trust in Jesus. Do you know, once again, it said that Cain's false worship, that was evil. And because it wasn't what God wanted, but yet over here, righteous Cain, or Abel, his was accepted. You know, Cain could have got right, but instead he looked at his brother and said, How come I can't worship God the way that I want? And he thought about it and thought about it till he grew bitter with his brother. And he ended up killing his own brother. 
just because he was not right. You know, this is something that's different. You know what is a hallmark of the world? Hatred. Hatred. Man, you even look at Facebook. Isn't there a lot of hatred on social media? Isn't there a lot of hatred throughout all of history? People say that religion is the cause of wars over and over. And it's true. Because the world knows hatred. But you know what is different about us? If we pass from death to life, we no longer have this hatred. We have a love for our brothers and we have a love for mankind. We don't desire for bad things to help them. I understand there are some big name preachers who are making a lot of press saying that the homosexuals and the, and the, the Muslims just need to kill each other off. That's foolishness. And that's stupidity. And, and there's a lot of people who are following this man. And that's a heartbreak. Because that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible is not the thing of hatred. But they hate us because we say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man coming to the Father but by Him. You cannot get to heaven by Mary. And you know we're hated because we say that? You cannot get to heaven by Allah. And people hate us for that. They say we cannot get to heaven by being a good person. And they hate us for that. They hate us because we have the message of truth. And they don't like the truth. And their reaction is hatred. And we see it all the time. We see it in our society that we have a world that hates God. Notice as it goes on in verse number 13. Marvel not my brethren if the world hate you. You know, we shouldn't scratch our head and say, wow, I can't just imagine this. No, the Bible says, hey, if they hated Jesus, they're going to hate you. Just mark it down. But we are not marked by hatred. There is something different in us. There's something different with this new nature. Verse 14, we know, we have confidence, we have proof, we have evidence. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. You know, if we've truly accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior and the Holy Spirit's come to live with inside of me, the Holy Spirit's not going to hate itself. So if you've accepted Jesus and I've accepted Jesus, we both have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And the Holy Spirit's not going to hate you because He lives in you. He is part of you. That's an important thing. That we have a natural love for one another because we have God, the Holy Spirit, living in us. And we should have a natural love for one another. Verse 15, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. Murderer! You know when you get that bitterness in your heart and you have hatred and you want something bad to happen, murderer! Murderer! That's how God sees it. When you're so upset at them, and you're just seething, and you just can't wait for something awful to happen. Maybe you're saying things with you. Now let me tell you about so-and-so. Murderer! That's what the Bible says. Murderer. That's what the world does. They get offended. They get upset. They get bitter. There should be something different about born-again Christians. There should be something different by us because Jesus saved us and forgave us of so much. 
that the Holy Spirit should change us from the inside out. This is important. Here is the proof that we have passed that we have love towards our brother while the world has hatred. And that is a true thing. You know, the world is tolerant of all religions except true born-again Christianity. You could be Muslim, you could be atheist, you could be Wiccan, you could be a Nazi, you could be all those other things, and they'll just say, good, good, you choose your own thing. But if you say that you're a born-again Christian, they go ballistic. And you say, it doesn't make sense. Well, the Bible says this is why. They hate us because we have the truth, and we won't allow them, or rather, God will not allow them to come to Him their own way. And the Bible says, you know what God thinks of their way? It is evil. And because their way is already evil, they're going to do evil things to protect their way, their, their point of view, their way of imagining things. So we have proof that we've passed that the children of the devil, they have hatred. The children of God, we are marked by love even when they hate us. It's going to go on. Let me show you the next thing, the perfect example. The perfect example. Notice with me in verse number 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God. So here, we're, let's understand, let's, let's wrap our minds around the love of God. Because He, Jesus, laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our life for the brethren. You know what God did? He went through the cross for us. Hold your finger here, if you wouldn't mind, and turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter number 5. The book of Romans, chapter 5, and let's see the Bible explain this a little bit more specifically. What does it mean, well, what's all entailed that Jesus died for us? Romans, chapter number 5. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans, chapter number 5, if you wouldn't mind. Romans chapter 5, and notice with me in verse number 1. Romans 5, 1, the Bible says this, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh us not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely a righteous man would, would one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here it's talking about the significance of Christ dying for us. You know, if you had a good man, maybe a great natural leader who was going to save the country, and you, you had to give up your life, some people would actually give up their life in order to protect that man. And they would lay down their life so this man could live. They, they saw it as a worthy cause. But who would die for a homeless bum? If someone was fixing to shoot a homeless bum, how many people would run in front of the bullets and say, please don't shoot him and take the bullet for him? You know what we were? We were the homeless bums. 
Notice in verse number 8 again. But our God commendeth his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know what we were? You know what we are? We're worthless. We're scum. We're dust. We have no good thing to offer God whatsoever. God didn't look at us when we were sinners and say, Woo! That is a gem! He looked at us and said, that's a failure. And Christ died for us anyways. When we were worthless, he died for us. There was no good thing in us. This is the love of God. This is what we're supposed to perceive. Turn back to me to 1 John chapter number 3. Christ laid down his life for us when we were nothing. Notice what we're supposed to do. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know how we have a religion of convenience? Someone has a need in the church and we'll only help them out if we have extra time, extra money. The Bible says we're to lay down our lives for the brethren. We're supposed to do what we can. Notice as it goes on and explains. We have Jesus as our example, verse 17. But whosoever hath this world's good and seeth his brother hath need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Think with me if you wouldn't mind. A good comparison. Luke 17, don't turn there, but you know the reference of the rich man and Lazarus. You know, Lazarus was a poor beggar who laid at his gates. The Bible said he laid there. He didn't have enough strength. He just laid there. He was full of sores. Those sores has the idea of wounds. He had wounds all over him. And all he could do was muster up any crumbs that happened to fall his way. Meanwhile, you have a rich man who has plenty. He's wearing the most expensive clothes. He's got everything you could want. And right outside his door, right outside his window, is a man who is sick and dying. And it's not like the rich man didn't know he was there. He knew he was there. And you know what he did? He shut up his bowels of compassion. You say, well, that's a different type of saying. Remember, in the Bible days, the bowels were the seat of emotions. That's where, you, you know, have you ever felt something so deep in your gut? That, that's where that compassion today. Today, we use the idea of a heart, that his heart was moved. It's the same idea. His heart was cold. He had a heart of stone. He knew the guy was right out there. He knew he had enough. And he, just some people would throw crumbs out, and that's all he got. Meanwhile, this, probably, this guy probably threw away enough to feed the guy. And he did nothing. You know, that's awful. Let me give you another example. Let's say that we have a young man who's career-minded. And he gets married to, to a lovely girl who dedicates herself to this man. And he... he takes the time to go to school to get a foothold in a job while she does all the menial labor. She serves him to make him look good. And then finally when she reaches the place of success, he gets rid of her and trades her in for a trophy wife. You know how horrible that is for that man to use and abuse that lady? 
You know how horrible it is? And yet, how many times do we use Jesus for our purposes? We get everything we can from him, but then we turn around and we don't do anything for him back. That's horrible. It's awful. Notice as it goes on, if you wouldn't mind. Verse number 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. Someone said, talk is cheap, and it is. It's actions that make the difference. You may have heard the name William Carey. William Carey is the great missionary who opened up the doors for modern missions. He had a famous saying that he said, trust great things from God. Uh, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. So expect great things from God, attempt great things from God. Do you know when he preached that message, that powerful message where we get that missions banner from? He preached to a full congregation and he preached a message and he preached his heart out about winning souls to Christ, winning heathen to the Lord, that people are dying without Christ. And at the end of the message, you know what happened? The people gathered up their Bibles, shook hands, and left. No big deal. He grabbed his friend in that service and said, Oh, fooler, bring them back. Doesn't anyone want to do anything about it? Bring them back in here. Bring them back. He preached his heart out trying to say people are dying and going to hell. And you know what the church did? They went out for supper said, No big deal. This is doing it in words and deed. We talk about wanting people to get saved. And you know what we do? Nothing. Nothing. We let them go to hell. We say, good message, pastor, where we're going to go eat at. There's no compassion. We don't care that literally right next to us, people are dying and going to hell. Our hearts are hearted. Don't you understand? We have the truth they need. And we do nothing. We could talk about it. We may throw some money in the offering plate for some lucky missionary to go do something. But we let people die and go to hell. That is not what Christ said to do. He said, verse number 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. People are dying and going to hell. And we don't care. You say, but, but, but sure I do. I pass out a track. That's to appease our conscience, to be honest. To say that we're doing something. It'd be a lot different if we got serious about the matter. Where's our love? Where's our compassion for those who are dying and going to hell? It's easy for us to almost feel sorry for the homeless guy who's standing on the street with a sign and then drive by and look away and not get eye contact with him. But to understand that people are dying to eternity, unforgiven. You know what the true example is that if we're going to be Christ-like, we will be showing it in our deeds. Not just with money, but our actions. By If we believe that people are going to hell, 
then we will show it by our actions. Notice, if you wouldn't mind, one last thing. We had proof that we had passed. We had showed you the perfect example, that's Christ. But there's a pathway to peace. A pathway to peace. Notice with me in verse number 19. It says, And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. Notice this. We know that we are of the truth and shall assure. We should have assurance of our hearts before Him. Oh, what a wonderful thing that God can do to give us assurance. We can have peace. We can know that we're right with God. We can know that our standing is good. We can have proof. We can have peace. How? Verse 20. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Now, what does this mean? Do you know that God is bigger than our hearts? And when our own conscience, when our own heart condemns us, when we feel guilty for our actions, do you know that if we failed ourselves, how much more we failed God? Because His ways are higher than our ways. His standards are more than our standards. If we can't even meet our low standards, imagine how far we've fallen from God's high standards from us. We've missed it. We missed where God wants us to be. Does your heart condemn you that we haven't done what we should have? That in God's eyes, we really messed it. But we can have assurance. Notice as it goes on. Notice if you wouldn't mind. Verse number 20. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then... We have confidence towards the Lord. Do you know that there are times that you said, I've done what I'm supposed to do for the Lord. And you have a confidence there. You know there's a great assurance there knowing that you've done what you're supposed to do. You know every night. You know, let me, let me take a second here. God is not expecting you to win the whole world tomorrow. You know what he does expect you to do? What he's given you to do for that day. You know what he expects you to do today? Only the things he expects you to do today. And you can lay your head on your pillow every night knowing I've done what God's wanted me to do for today. We don't have to go to bed frantic and say everyone's dying and going to hell. There's not so much, oh, I can never do enough. No, you're only supposed to do what God has given you to do. And if you do that, you can have a confidence, you can have assurance, you can have a peace with God knowing that I've done what I'm supposed to do. That God has given me something to do and I did it and I'm good. You know, it's amazing. God is not an evil taskmaster. He knows what we can do. He knows our capabilities. He knows our abilities. He knows our opportunities. And he, He's the one who gave it to us. And if we just do what He's asked us to do, and if we all do what God's asked us to do, the job can be done. We're just supposed to do what God has given us to do day by day. And, we, and if our hearts condemn us not then we can have confidence towards God. Notice, if you wouldn't mind, verse 22. Now, this is where our part of prayer comes in. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him. We've already explained that before, that prayer is asking and that the answer to prayer is receiving. This is what it's saying here. But notice this, it continues on. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because, because... We keep the commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Let me teach you something on prayer while we're hitting this idea. 
Do you know how foolish it is to expect God to win souls if we haven't done our part? You know how foolish it is to, to beg God to give us money and we haven't done our part? You know how foolish it is to beg that someone in our family gets right if we haven't done everything in our own power to help them out, to, to work with them? If we haven't fasted and prayed, why in the world do we expect God to pick up the slack that we're too lazy to do? And that's exactly what it is, is lazy. We get lazy in our spiritual walk. And we expect God to pick up our spiritual laziness. Someone's, an uh, old writer, it took him a long time to write things. And he ended up writing volumes of books. And someone said, wow, look at all these things. Did you, did you pray for them all to be written? He says, no, I just got up and did it. You know, there's a lot of times we use prayer as an excuse for work. You find that in the book of Joshua. Remember God told him to go and take uh, to go take care of business after the AI incident and Joshua went down in prayer and God said what are you doing down there? I told you what to do. Get up and do it. You know we should not expect God to do his part if we're not willing to do our part. You know if we haven't done the best we can then why should we expect God to pick up the slack? You know, for example, if we have parents, if we're not doing the best we can with the parents, if we're not doing everything that we're supposed to do with the child, why in the world can we expect God to pick up our laziness and do something and fix our stuff? You know, if we're praying and saving for something, but we keep using our money unwisely, how foolish is it to say, all right, God, I know I use my money unwisely, but, you know, go ahead and provide it for me anyways. It's foolishness. Here it says that, if, but if we've done everything that we're supposed to do, if we've labored, if we've worked, if we've prayed, we can expect God to do his part. Let's say that I have an unsaved a family member. You know, if I have done my part, if I've given them tracts, if I've invited them to church, if I begged for them. You know, sometimes we witness to people and kind of, yeah. Have you begged them? Have you fasted and prayed? We forget the fasting part. Jesus says several times that these things come not but by prayer and fasting. Mark chapter 9 speaks of that. You know, if, if we've done our part, we have a confidence that God is going to do his part if we've labored like we should, if we've all gone out and told people during the week, if we've all done our part to invite one person to come to church, we can expect people to be in our services next week. We can have confidence in that. That should be something we should expect if we've all done what we're supposed to have done. We should have confidence... You know, if we're saving for something in the church and we have given what we are supposed to do, if we've done what we're supposed to do, we can expect God to fill in the gaps. But it's ludicrous to ask God to take care of our laziness, to take care of our shortcuts. This is an important thing of prayer, but we can have confidence if we've done what we're supposed to have done. There's a pathway to peace, and we hear, it's already talked about a peace, that if we've done what we're supposed to do, that 
we could go to sleep at night having a peace. If we've done what we're supposed to do, we can have confidence, we can have a peace that God is going to answer the prayers and God is going to do His part. Notice as it goes on and, and summarizes it. Verse 23, And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. So the first kind of summary, we're supposed to believe on Jesus, and then after that, we're supposed to love the brethren. Verse 24, And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. Hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. There is nothing like the peace of God that comes when you're an obedient Christian. When you've obeyed God, when you've done what you're supposed to, there is no peace like it. There is no joy like it to know that you've done what God has given you to do. There's nothing like it. And we as Christians, we can have a peace. Even if the world is falling apart around us, even if our world seems like it's floating off, if we've done what we're supposed to do, we can have peace with God because God is a good God. We can expect God to do His part. God is an amazing God. We have passed from death to life. You know, it is our own selfishness that robs us of peace and assurance. Someone says, why do people doubt their salvation? You want me to give you the reason why? Sin. Sin clouds the issue up. Sin blocks that peace that we have in our life. When we're disobedient, when we're laziness. By the way, laziness is a sin. Procrastination is a sin. The book of Proverbs talks about those. That if we're doing what we're supposed to do and we're doing it to the best of our ability, God does his part. We need to expect great things from God and we need to attempt great things in God. And it doesn't need just to be a phrase we say. It needs to be done in deed and in truth. We can have a great peace of God. So let me ask you this question. I'm not asking tonight, are you sure that you're going to heaven? Because I trust the testimonies I've heard in this room. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me know. It's just as simple as receiving the great gift that God has given to you of Jesus Christ. But the question I want to ask you is, not only are you saved, but do you have a peace of God in you? Meaning, do you know that you've done what you're supposed to have done and that you have confidence that God is going to do His part? Do you love the brethren? Are you willing to lay down your life for the brethren? Not just in word, not just when it's convenient, not when you have some extra time, but are you giving what you're supposed to to the Lord? Are you doing what you're supposed to to win others to Christ? Are you doing what you're supposed to in the labors that God has given to you? He doesn't give us a task that's impossible. He gives us something that is accomplishable based off of our opportunities, based off of our abilities. God gives us a race for each of us individually. Do you have a peace? Do you have a confidence that you've done what you're supposed to have done? If not... Let me encourage you that you can. That God has a plan for your life. 
and you could see such amazing things from God. And with that, you can have such an assurance. Let me tell you, when you're out telling people about the Lord and someone gets saved, oh, you have such a peace. There's nothing like it. And you say, I know God is with me. I know I'm one of God's kids. I, I, there's nothing like it. And there's no doubting your salvation when God has used you in an amazing way. When you see the results of your efforts and your labors, there's no doubting your salvation then. Do you have a peace with God that comes from doing what you're supposed to do? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three oh eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.